Hi, I'm Cameron. And I'm Dominique. We both work for Starting Right Now, also known as SRN. A lot of times, homeless youth are spoken for. Often, people assume what homeless youth would need, and I want homeless youth to be able to speak for themselves. We're getting ready to blow up the best-kept secret, beautiful, unaccompanied youth. On this episode of Raising Me, we're talking with Sergio. And school still felt safe, even though you were attending 10 different schools in your life? Yeah, but teachers don't hit you at school. You don't get strangled at school. I've hurt, but it made me who I am today. Through trials and tribulations, I still celebrate. Cause I'm starting right now. I'm starting right now. You grew up in New York. Yes. How old were you when you moved to Florida? Um, about 11. And then we came to Fort Myers and an abused woman's shelter for a bit. Went from Fort Myers to Naples. Who's we? Um, me, my big brother, my uh, big brother, my big sister, my two uh, baby sisters, and my little brother. And um, mom and my stepdad. Mm-hmm. And um, we were there and we went and we lived in Naples for about two years and everything started going well. You know, parents both had really good jobs with really good incomes, but then it happened again. And my mom... Came to unsettle. My stepdad became to unsettle. When you say it happened, happened again, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's like this thing where um, when people can't feel comfortable being still, you know, life's not going to be perfect. You have to come to that realization. You're going to struggle, no matter where you go. Mm-hmm. It's going to follow you. What happens is the illusion breaks. The facade that you placed upon this place, this magic that you created yourself, mm-hmm. is just you know, it's false reality. It's a facade. And um, when that pretense falls, you have to face yourself and who you really are. So we literally left from New York, you know, to Naples and things got better. But the issue wasn't in New York. The issue was within the family. Did you know that when you're, did you say you were 11? Um, That there was an issue with the family? Yeah, when y'all are moving. Oh, I knew that there was an issue since I was a child. I think that's one of the things that saved my mind as a child. As I knew that there was a different way than what was being presented. Um, How did you know that as a child? I think children don't like adults need to have logic to define everything. I think they can intuit it pretty well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like putting your hand on a stove. It's not right. You figure that out very quickly. So um, what were you? What were you seeing or observing that was not right? Mom being physically abused, just um, screaming, yelling, you know, abuse. I guess like kids' channels like PBS and stuff show you like, oh, there's, hey, it's Franklin or Arthur and all those families are so put together and they kind of have this nice little template of what a family should be. And then you go into your house and this is not it. And we did try. We definitely did try. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom did try. My stepdads did try. Um, but they never tried to heal themselves ever and school felt safe when i was younger and home like i never wanted to go home so i knew that was something wrong because everybody wanted to go home and be with their families um so were y'all moving frequently you described yes very frequently what does that mean like multiple times within a year multiple times within a year i can more i think i've been my whole entire life more than 10 different schools 
Wow. Yeah, the first time I've ever had stability is when I lived on my own. And school still felt safe, even though you were attending 10 different schools in your life? Yeah, but teachers don't hit you at school. You don't get strangled at school. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you have to clarify that. That doesn't sound nice. No, nah, it doesn't feel nice either. Yeah. It's a happening, though. And did were there people that knew things were... Oh, my God. It's like they knew. Unsafe. They knew, but they never were able to catch it. And I never told anybody um, until uh, the first person I told was when I was, like, 15. I told my wrestling coach. It was a weird conversation because it was very candid like this. And I was like, um, uh, Coach Ross, I think I might be getting abused. Mm -hmm. He's like, what do you mean? Tell me some things that are going on. I you know, kicked on the ground, kicked in the chest, you know. What made you decide to share with your wrestling coach at 15? Um, my mom left. My mom left my stepdad. And she she left me with him. And I told my mom, because she wanted me to go to New York, too. Um, I told her I wanted to complete school no matter what. Because at that point, my big brother dropped out at 17. My big sister dropped out. And actually, she ran away when she was eight. Um, yeah. So your mom goes back to New York and you decide to stay. Stay with my stepdad, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that, that that situation got really hectic really quick. Uh, yeah, it was very, uh, the air was very dense to walk through in that apartment. So what happened after you told your coach? It was just like, I got to share with someone? Did no, anyone intervene? Um, so, so I knew my stepdad was going to go to New York to follow my mom. When he said, oh, we're going to be going to New York pretty soon, how do you feel? I was like, well, what if I could stay? Well, where would you live? I was like, um, what if I'm okay with being homeless? I don't know. I'll figure out. He's like, well, what if I killed you? I was like, hmm, point taken. I'm not going to bring this up ever again. And that's when I told my coach. I was like, hey, man, I have an issue here. Mm. I, didn't, I wasn't like, hey, man, I might die pretty soon. But just in case, this is where the body's going to be. Um, you, were, you were genuinely that afraid? Um, that he would kill me? I mean, I lived in terror my whole life, so terror, terror didn't register. Mm. Since the beginning, terror has always been there. So your stepdad says he's going to move to New York, and you mm -hmm. say, I'll just stay here and yeah. be homeless. Yes. And you're 15, so yes. what do you do? I'll talk to my coach. He says, my stepdad says no. Right. And um, I'm like, right, I got to figure something out. Mm -hmm. I got to sell drugs, got to steal cars. I got to do something. Um, I mean, if jobs start at age X, like you can't apply for a job until you're 16 or 15 or whatever, and you're in this situation and you want to break away from this, there's really no other recourse in the right, you know, in the, our economy, it doesn't support something for, the, you know, it's just like our, our economy is nice and it's built for things to go as people assume they go, that the world is some cookie cutter image, but it's not. It's I think a lot of people would be surprised about this idea of, I mean, this is, this recurs on our podcast, but like the idea that you are 15 mm. or less than 16 and you are alone. There are a series of circumstances mm -hmm, that yeah. have made you separated from your family or in particular your parents or more generally an adult figure. I mean, you are a child alone and yeah. people don't think that people don't, I think people just don't know that exists. No. I mean, why would you think, why would anybody think that? Why would any reasonable person think that? Like, oh, yeah. there's some kid in terror. And um, a lot of my friends suffered from issues and I surrounded myself around people who had issues too. And I didn't know that. Even now, I have to cut off people because I'm just realizing 
you're really kind of negative. Mm-hmm. But you I mean, know? That, that's a good point because from my experience after yeah. working at, mm-hmm. at with and at starting right now for the past 15 years almost, yeah. I've met hundreds of students of young people who <sighs> yeah. have lived an experience where they were a child alone. So yes. the reason I bring that up is that it, I mean, it's more common than I wish it were, than I wish it were. It's actually very common. There are plenty of young people who are alone. It's so not the, exclusive to one community. Yeah, it's not exclusive to one mm-hmm. community. It's all different kinds of people who have mm-hmm. different stories that make them alone. But the, the thing is, the reason I say that is that it's not that these stories don't exist. Mm. It's that they're not told. I yeah. mean, of course, who wants to tell that? Who, yeah. who wants to tell that? Well, it's a very hard thing to talk the about. The first I time I was stabbed, I was seven. My sister stabbed me in a fit of rage with a screwdriver. Oh my, my brother gosh. pulled it out. Seven. Seven years old. How am I supposed to explain that to anybody when a teacher says, draw a picture of your family? Oh, my goodness. But I would think as a seven-year-old who's enduring that, among other things, like, yeah. I mean, you said you, did, you didn't say, tell that to your... To anyone, but how do you even have an understanding of what that any of that is? It was just life, and I didn't have any other base. My mom also kind of kept us secluded from other people. And then when this happens to you, you're a quiet person, you're a weird person, you're a different person. People don't want to associate you. People were very mean to me because I was different, and I understand that. You know, um, you know, I you know I read books. So I was quiet. Like I was. I secluded myself, and then when I tried to make friends, it's like I didn't have the vocabulary to speak to them. So how did you get introduced to starting right now? Because your stepdad moves to New York. You're down here by yourself. Yes, I told uh, my coach, Ross, and then Ross told uh, my social worker. And I don't know who got in touch with you, but one of those two did. And then Vicky showed up with this other lady. She had all these questions. (laughs) Let me take you back a week before that happened. So a year prior, I was in French class. In French class, I had a mental breakdown, and I started punching computers, and I left the class because the lady said, um, where's your family at? And draw a picture and write them all in French. And at this point, you know, wait, this is a semester prior. At this point, mom left, so I had to cross her out. Father's murder, cross her out. Sister ran away because she was being molested, cross her out. Brother ran away, left because he was going to put a hit out on my stepdad, cross him away. You know, little brothers and sisters in New York, crossway, crossway. So I'm here with my stepdad. Had a mental breakdown in class. Flipped out completely and left. Um, Then a year later in that exact same French class, this is probably um, me and Vicky were talking, and me and starting right now were talking probably maybe for about two, three weeks at this point. This is after I went to the park and met um, Adidra. And um, the Peak family, which were amazing people. Those, uh, those were your mentors. Yes, yes. I was going to ask, who was that? Okay. And, um, and um, so in French class, right, that happened. And I had a mental break. Once again, in French class, I get a call. And I have that same eerie feeling in my stomach again. Wait, to clarify, the, yeah. what you're about to describe is before you joined starting right now? Yes, is before. This is like literally. But you knew about it. We were already starting the conversation, and starting right now was just an idea. So in French class, getting called into the office, and I walked into the office, um, into the registrar's office. My stepdad's there. I'm like, oh, shit, he's going to sign me out, and I'm going to leave school. And um, so I get the papers, and um, 
He looks at me and said, you, you knew this was going to happen. Like signed out permanently? Or? Yeah. So you have to get all your classes. You have to go to each teacher's room and you have to sign them, out, have them sign you out of each class permanently. Like with the idea that y'all were moving? Y- yes. Uh-huh. Yes. But none of my teachers really knew. Mm-hmm. But my stepdad didn't even tell me. This was just, he just came in and decided this was the day. And, um, you know, like a machine, I started walking. I put my head down and that's when he was a prick. And he was like, oh, yeah, you knew this would happen. You know, he's a prick all the time saying shit like that. And uh, so I start walking to the class. And, you know, I start walking in front of the principal's office. And every step, I just want to die. You know, it's like every step, I was just dying over and over again. And then I saw my little brothers and sisters. And then I thought about my dad, who didn't complete middle school, and my mom, who didn't complete middle school. My brother had to drop out of high school. My sister had to drop out of middle school. And I looked at myself, and then I looked at my little brothers and sisters. And I promise you, I wouldn't have the strength to do what I did next if I didn't think of them, if I wasn't selfless for once. And I just turned around, and I threw the papers on the ground, and I balled my fist. And I looked at him and said, no, I'm not doing this. You know? And I was prepared to die at that point. And, um, you know... Um, because if I would have signed those papers, then my little brothers and sisters would suffer the same fate and something would happen where they're, um, where they're, I'm going to be forced to drop out or something like that. And education, I believe, is the only way out. I was back, you know, looking him in the eyes and he he said, are you going to hit me? And I didn't say anything because at that point, I didn't see hate in his eyes. It's all fear because mm-hmm. I never stuck up to him before in my life. This is a man who strangled me multiple times. And then he's frozen. And then I start walking away. And, you know, I turn the corner. And then I realize what the fuck I just did. And I run really fucking fast. <laughs> it sounds like it's from a movie. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that, no, that happened. Yeah, it happened. I ran. I ran. Where did you run to? Uh, I ran to my. Uh, I ran down the hallway to the uh, uh, counselor's office. I was like, "Hey, um, um, I ran to Mr. Ramos." I was like, "You know, my stepdad's here. It's happening. This guy's here. Blah blah blah." Because we kind of explained, you know. Um, luckily, after telling somebody that I had a problem. The school came, like Lado High School staff, they came together and everybody was on my side. Starting right now, came, the conversations were started. And um, I didn't know it was going to happen, but luckily, thank God, um, the situation happened in such a way that, you know, everything fell together perfectly. And um, the police escorted him out. And then um, starting right now, I was there like within an hour and I didn't have any clothes. I didn't have anything because I just left this. And how did you feel about that decision? Like, is there a point at which you are, well, I was gonna ask if you were doubting or you were had more conviction, but you probably felt a mix of both. Well, at the time, um, I didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't feel anything. And like, I think it's PTSD when it happens or, or anxiety or whatever it was. Like the whole balling the fist thing and being ready to fight, you know, that wasn't, I never fought for myself. You know, I always just took everything that happened. And um, because, you know, you don't feel like a person. You're just something that the world imposes its will on. And, um, but at that point, um, the only thing I really thought of was my little brothers and sisters. And then 
right when I turned the corner, terror. <laughs> You've said a couple of times right now in your description about the ways in which you were treated like an object rather yeah. than a person. Yes. And to, to me, one of the most important things starting right now is doing is mm-hmm. enabling our students to really act and be treated like humans. Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, at of least course. I hope that's true because in a lot of situations, because of the circumstances, I agree that like um, because there's a lack of agency and personal choice, um, our students are not treated like humans, which is a great tragedy in my opinion. Mm-hmm. If you don't have anything to bolster you, the world's going to, you know, the world's going to tell you who you are and how to operate in it. It was absolutely terrifying um, because... Now everything I like all the fear and all the doubt of 16 years of abuse or whatever you want to call it, whatever that was, all the fear and the doubt, right, were at the forefront of my head. And then, you know, Vicky came, then Mrs. Pete came and they set me up in the hotel. And before that, they got me clothes because I didn't have anything. Um, and oh, this is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> So uh, Mrs. Peak is in Walmart, um, and they got me uh, uh, the La Quinta Hotel. Uh, Mrs. Peak is at Walmart, and she's um, she's picking out clothes. And I, all right, cool, we're getting clothes and shoes. This and the third, and she said, "Are you gonna need underwear?" I was like, "Shoot, probably, huh?" <laughs> you had nothing. Yeah, but you gotta understand. You know, you gain a mom right there. In that simple sentence, you think you have nothing, but you definitely gain a mom and a family and all this and the third when people are buying you undergarments. It's a very personal conversation. Mm-hmm. Hashtag Hanes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I was really terrified that night um, in the hotel by myself. Because yeah, that's were, what I'm curious about. You're yeah. in this hotel after well, you weren't, this crazy yeah. incident. Yeah. yeah, you weren't planning to leave that no, day. And so I couldn't imagine that. You can't write that. Um, it's impossible. So starting right now, put you in a hotel yeah. while they arranged all of your stuff that was happening. Very yeah, quickly. they got me caps to go to school and back. Mm-hmm. Um, You're in a hotel by yourself. So that night, yes. That and first night. So I was able to sleep. And I kid you not, I woke up in the morning, right? And the first thing I saw was like rays from the sun just creep across the blood. Like I swear, I was just looking at the bed. I just saw the rays just come in. And I look up and I just saw the light and I started crying because I knew that things would be better. Mm. Yeah. What I find interesting, you said in that moment with your stepdad, the face mm-hmm. off, mm-hmm. that you said you were ready to die. But for me, it sounded like you were ready to finally fight for your life. You were well, like, I'm taking this back now. At that point, it wasn't about me. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't. I wasn't thinking about, like, because if it was me and I, ha- I didn't have a little brother, my little brothers and sisters were my angels, you know, mm-hmm. they saved my soul. If I didn't have my little brothers and sisters, I didn't have a reason to live. Mm. There was no will. There was nothing. Absolutely nothing. So because I could make them pancakes or make them smile or be happy, that face-off wasn't about me being a tough guy. Mm-hmm. It was just ha- having a line for once. You and, drew a boundary. Yeah. I want to ask something that, like, I have. Um, I just want to make sure I'm asking it gingerly, so maybe I might not be the most um, well-spoken. But as you're describing all these different forms of abuse that you experienced, I'm, I want to think about a listener who might hear this story and think, well, how could, why would a parent let this happen to their children? Um, and so in defense of your mother, mm-hmm. I just want to allow you to have a chance to explain how this might happen 
before Vicky walked into my life, um, my mom kind of was fleeing a very abusive relationship. And I didn't understand that to years later. My stepdad suffered from his own childhood. His father had PTSD, or they called it shell shock back in the days. And they didn't understand what it was. So he saw a lot of violence. So my childhood was just... um they thought was normal. It's okay to discipline your child, but when there's an element of rage and violence to it, that mm-hmm. then it becomes something uh it becomes something bad and it has prolonged effects. But they didn't really think about that. You know, they're just trying to do the best they can without even looking at themselves. When I was a child, I've witnessed like her getting beat by two other men mm-hmm. with like they had like a bag with like metal rods in it and stuff and they were God. Yeah, and then the police came. And then what was happening is one of my stepdads was trying to take my younger brother from my mom. So she was fighting and then it was like go in the door, go in the back room, lock the door, protect your little brothers and sisters type of deal. And then she's outside fighting and you can see everything from the window. Yeah. What happened to her, you know, I wouldn't wish on anybody. Uh, you know, far worse than I think uh anybody could ever imagine and how she's standing today is a you know is a testament to her stability and wherewithal as a person um but she was through she went through a lot and she had to suppress a lot and she had to wear a mask all the time and she was objectified by most of the men she was with she had six kids by six different dads yeah and all of them were involved in your life um that I can remember, but all of them were abusive. Mm-hmm. There's not one that wasn't. She was just a tool. The only thing she wanted to do is be a mom and love on her children, and she did. And there were moments in there that I do remember. And I've had tea with my mom. We had conversations. My mom is a vastly brilliant woman. You know, I, I definitely respect my mom a lot. And um, that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, that's why she dated a bunch of assholes. And then my dad, who she thought was a good dude, got shot. So... Imagine how that feels, thinking you finally found an oasis and some room to breathe. Yeah, I'm sure it's yeah. awful. And so when you you stood up to your stepdad mm-hmm. and he and um, you separate yourself from him and join Starting Right Now, yeah. what are the things that Starting Right Now does to support you? Amazing things. The first thing they do is they introduce you to a family um, that can introduce you to a new set of values and a new way of being. So from this point on, I was introduced to something that was just different. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't understand You're talking it. about your mentors. Yes, yeah. yes. I'm talking about the Peak family, which is um, family um, extremely humble, extremely hardworking. They fight for everything they got. Um, they, they instill courage in their children. You know, all their children go to school. They all play sports. You know, they're all achievers. And their parents are awesome. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and just experiencing that caliber of person is just, you know, you, you, you pick stuff up through osmosis when you're with them. So, yeah. I, I have this blanket, right? I have this blanket that um, Mrs. Pete gave me for Christmas. I still have it today. Everything they bought me, they bought me a watch. They bought me Beat headphones, Beats headphones. But this blanket that they gave me, you know, I still have it to this day. That's like the longest item I've ever had in my whole life. So, you know, and I was, yeah, yeah, I know. Grown man in a blanket. (laughs) Would you look at that? Breaking hearts right now. Changing lives. 
You're allowed to be a gentle man. Correct. I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm working on it. And what else did you receive through oh, 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 so much. I can't really explain. Um, how can I tell you? <laughs> it's really hard to explain. There's nothing... Every word that I say that they helped me diminish what they did for me, if that makes any sense. I don't want to, like, make you focus on them helping me get an apartment, them helping but me get a important. job. Definitely. No, it is important, but I'm talking about a transformation occurred in a human being. But I, well, I, I'm yeah. glad to hear that, first of yeah. all. That's nice to hear because that yeah. makes me feel like we're doing work that is effective. But, but I think... Um, the transformation mm-hmm. that you're describing is the result of this comprehensive set of resources that oh, hopefully yes, you're providing. Yes, of course, definitely, definitely. Of, um, so what, also, yeah. our listeners have only ever heard at this point, I believe, students who lived in the house. Okay. Yeah, so right. starting right now has a transitional housing facility that our high school students live in together while they're finishing high school, and then they go on to their next education goal. It's but a you, very intentional community. It's like a dorm. Correct. So, but you were one of the first starting right now students 10 years ago. And so you were put yes. in an apartment alone. Yes. We didn't have the housing facility They yet. gave me a cat. They gave you a cat. Yeah, they let me get a cat because they didn't want to be alone, That's which nice. is amazing. They weren't supposed to. Uh-huh. But, yeah, you so know. when you were, yeah. were given this yeah. apartment and mm-hmm. a cat, like, yeah. how did you feel about that um, as a 15, 16-year-old? Yeah, I was shocked, and it was a bit overwhelming, but anything was better than the situation prior. And they also tried to help me get mental health resources multiple times, mm-hmm. but multiple times I saw Vicky go to my house with the psychologist, and I'd wait until they leave. What do you mean? I don't what do you I mean? I used, that. You know, she used to have a psychologist and she used to want me to go to counseling. And I used to wait in the bushes. Literally. Oh, you would like oh, see them you outside? Would them there, <laughs> yeah. like you were at home. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. And, I, and I, one time she called me and I was like, oh, I'm at work. Yeah, and I was just watching <laughs> them. <laughs> did you have to pay for your apartment? Like, how did you okay. meet? How did you feed um, yourself? So, so initially they paid everything. Mm-hmm. Um, electricity turned everything on. Mm-hmm. Um, they helped me get a job. They started me off with food and everything like that. Um, mm-hmm. While we're talking about the housing thing, yeah. like someone listening would hear this a 15, 16-year-old living alone in an apartment with a cat. And it's like, that sounds crazy that you are this child who is yeah. who this nonprofit is choosing to place yeah. you alone in an apartment as a minor. That just sounds expect crazy. You to be an adult. Uh-huh. Yeah, I expect you to be an adult. Like, do you have an explanation for that? Like, why that would make sense? I mean... I think it's because, like, because they, they have a question. Like, they have questions. I think they looked at me, and despite my not, like, they saw me as a person. They saw that, um, I believe, well, I don't know, why did... I don't know. Ordained? Is it ordained? I don't know. I want to ask, why did you choose me? I don't know how to ask that properly. Yeah, I mean, um, every student is interviewed before they enter yes. the program. With, Correct. And uh, always curious as to why then. Yeah, but um, I mean... The, I mean, I was in ROTC. I was in the music club. All this stuff was happening, but, but I was helping the school. You were flunking out of school. Um, I wasn't flunking until the next year. Just curious. Until I, got, <laughs> until I got accepted is when I started failing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I was actually passing, and then when I started to settle... Uh-huh. I stopped wanting to go to school and started wanting to work a little bit more. And, you know, I lost a little bit of a will to go forward. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to pay your 30%. Mm-hmm. So you need to get a job. Mm-hmm. Got a job at Sweet Bay. Okay. Got a bike. But there was an issue with finding a job. The yeah. issue was that you didn't have identification, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So why didn't you have identification? Because my mom took it with her. Like your birth certificate? Yes. And my, uh, when she went to New York? Street. Yes. And there's multiple reasons. Maybe she needed to pay taxes. Maybe it may be used to cripple me so I could make sure that I come with her. There's so many different ways. I don't know why or her purpose. I never really asked her. And like, 
you tried to get it from her and couldn't? I didn't talk to my mom after that. Yeah. (laughs) And so how did you get your birth certificate and social security card? Um, Starting right now, help me. And then I think they went through the school to help get it. Well, that's not entirely true. The story I've been told from my mom is that you can't get your ID and social security card birth certificate. So you can't get a job. And you also can't apply to school. Oh, yeah. yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Or FAFSA. Or, or FAFSA, like yeah. and which is like ser- you're seriously dead-ended because you don't have access to your own I- identification. And so she said that, yeah, we're trying to figure out how to get it. And she had contacted people through the state of New York mm-hmm. that um, to get it from your mom. And there was they were Thank not able. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> they you. were There were failed attempts there. They were yeah. not able to access your ID. And you had this idea one day, this is yes. the story she tells me, oh, yeah. that yeah. you just said in passing that there yeah. should be a law yeah. that students, unaccompanied youth who are minors should have access to their yes. birth certificates and ID so that they're not dead-ended. And she she says in her retelling of the story that she laughed at you because she said, that's a very creative idea, Serge, <laughs> but that's not a very practical one. I don't know how I can just magically make a law. Yeah. And well, do you want to uh, then, Do you have a recollection then, of what happened next? I, I thought, were we eating at Panera or something? <laughs> and we walked by a sign that said, ought to be a law for schools. And I was like, wow, would you look at that? That synchronicity that we've been talking about. Yeah. So what was ought to be a law? You saw a sign for yeah. ought to be a law. We'll so say. it's a chance for high school students to, you know, draw up, write up legislation and then go and propose it. And if it's accepted, they pick like one law a year and then you go and then you lobby for it. And if it goes through all the sessions then it becomes, the bill becomes a law. So that, so that, that's exactly what happened. I mean, you say that, so. I mean, casually. Just, yeah, casually. Because right <laughs> it happened. You go, you lobby, you know, you get to lobby. <laughs> yeah. So you testified before the House of Representatives. Yes. I mean, yes. that just sounds. Does that sound crazy to you? That sounds crazy to me. Well, I lived it. So, okay. like, you know, um, I lived it. It happened. It occurred. And it seemed to be ne- necessary at the time. And everybody thought it was necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes our, our representatives don't really know the issues at hand. And how can you tell the source? You know, and I was kind of like a source person. I actually think we had a few more SRN kids up there who told their stories, too. And Vicky was there, and I, like yeah, because you were not the only student that yeah, this was a problem yeah, so for. This it was, was a recurring problem yeah. for homeless unaccompanied youth who are alone. It, it became really big, yeah. But what you're saying is why I love this program, which was the ought to be a law. They are inviting new people into the conversation, yes, um, and actually listening to the people they are serving. Some, so, yeah, sometimes you have to be at ground level with this. We kind of mistake, miss the forest for the trees with our politics, and we're so. We're so ingrained into what looking good is. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to look good. And I want this person to look at me, that person. No, it's like, what's the bottom level issues? So those are the people our, our politicians are serving is the people on the bottom level and the people who need it most. Yeah. And um, yeah. That, so then what happened? Um, Representative Glorioso, Vic, Victor Lavala was on the team. Um, I forgot who else. There was a gentleman, um, another uh, representative. I mean, it was one of the peaks of Grant, Representative Grant. I don't know, my childhood, after like, when starting right now got into my life, there was so much that was happening, you know, it was a really, really, really transformative process. I can't explain it to you, but just understand a lot happened and it was like in a forward moment. It was like in a, there's a lot of momentum. The thing that is remarkable to me is that you state your needs, the legislation listens mm. passes this law which enables minors that are that don't have access to their id to yes. gain access to their id yes. 
I mean, that is an extreme example of why having an advocate is so important. Of because course. if you did not have my mom, how you would have gotten nowhere. You would not have had a job. You would not even had been able to apply no. to school. No, I mean, and so many other things. What would have happened is I would have had to resort to my my father was a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. My father was murdered at seventeen. I was sixteen. So how much time did I have on my life if that simple identification to get a job? How much time, like, you know, would I have had on this earth or not in prison or before that negativity I was talking about earlier, that that anger? When will I start exploring that? I never had the chance to be like, okay, well, now I need to rob somebody because I know people in my family robbed people. I know people who sold drugs. There's a whole world that I was seeing that I didn't have to go through. Everything that was presented in front of me because that simple identification that's simple thing, man. I mean, we talk quite a bit in the office how important it is to have an advocate for yeah. that reason. Because yeah. as a 16-year-old, I mean, I would just give up. Like, I don't know. Where else would you go next? You know, you try yeah, to talk to your start? school. Right. I wouldn't think to call the mayor. Where's his number? I don't know. No, I wouldn't think. <laughs> where, or think, I, or think I could call I the mayor. I would have gone down to the Social Security office, maybe. And then nah, from there, I think, I, I don't know. My, I would have went to my boy Pookie and said, hey, bro, give me, about, give, me, give me a couple grams. I'll flip it for you, you know. And that's how you so, earn your money. I'll cut off 25% and then I'll double up next week. And now I'm a drug dealer because it's that easy. Because that law is passed, students in starting right now have benefited from that being a reality that they can now access their identification without their parents' consent. And also unaccompanied youth in the statewide have that access. So mm-hmm. you sharing your story has made the state of Florida a safer place for homeless unaccompanied youth, which mm-hmm. is a big deal. And the other thing that I find incredible about it is that none of us, I mean, not us, neither you nor my mom ever were planning to, like, write laws and do legislation. This all happened because the work was happening. Like, it was very much focused on saving homeless youth one child at a time and continuing to do what needed to be done for the student when it needed to be done. Start where you are with what you can. And the result of that, of just focusing on that, was legislation being passed statewide. Because my mom had access to people that were passing legislation after the whole thing with you and your thing, is other laws have been passed Mm -hmm. to save unaccompanied youth in the state of Florida. Homeless unaccompanied youth have Mm -hmm. access to medical care and food stamps. They have access to their Social Security and birth certificate. State schools in the state of Florida have to accept the homeless tuition waiver. Students are allowed to consent to their own medical care, even if they're minors, because if you don't have a parent... You have no one to consent Mm -hmm. if you were 16 or over. If you were a homeless unaccompanied youth and were put in a dorm at your college, that was not that was considered permanent housing. So you no longer had the homeless tuition waiver over the holidays. If you were in a dorm, the dorm closes and then you're homeless again. You have nowhere to be. If you were in starting right now, we would house you for the holidays. But if you're a student who doesn't have that, you would have nowhere to be. So Mm -hmm. dorms are not really permanent housing. And so. Um, starting right now that got that changed so that dorms are considered temporary housing so students that are homeless unaccompanied youth in dorms have the homeless tuition waiver when they are in school. And so all of that is to say that all these laws are changing. There are other laws that are being processed currently to protect homeless unaccompanied youth in the state of Florida. And it's just crazy because um, it all just happened kind of by accident because of you. Right. Yeah. The catalyst. Yeah. So you get your identification, you get settled into school, and then what? Um... Well, you, did you graduate? Uh, 2011. But before that, I started being a punk. 
stopped going to school. I thought I was cool. I had a horrible phase in my life where I was, uh, you know, I guess I was being rebellious. I don't know. While you were in starting right now? Yeah. Vicky let you not go to school? No, not just Vicky, but, um, you know, <laughs> Mrs. Peak. They got a call that I was failing all my classes. Then they had to sit down and they gave me that, which I've never felt before. I'm not mad at you. I'm disappointed, Ouch. which hurts. Mm. And if you have parents, right, you get that feeling that, oh, man, disappointed. Ah, I kind of like I feel bad. I feel like I need to change. And um, so the next class I did, uh, instead of the seven regular courses, I had to take 14 courses, still manage the job, still go to pass the law, still go to do this, that, and the third. And, um, you know. You are doubling your course load to make up yes, for failing classes. And I believe I aced all my courses and I went wow. from a 1.2 to a 2.9. I mean, I'm not dumb. I just had to believe in myself. Yeah, and I had the people to believe in me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, me not going to school was, you know, me not caring about myself. Or, you know, she she saw beyond that. She didn't see me as an action. She saw me as a person and a possibility. And I got accepted to college, which was awesome. Where did you go to college? I went to St. Leo University. Started right now, stuck with you all the way through yes, college. Yes, definitely, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. I got my degree in political science. You know, I'm still working on what I'm going to use it for. Maybe I might get into politics or something. I don't know. And you joined the Army at some point in all of this? Yes, I joined the Army my second year in college. Was like college something that you were expecting to do? No, I never expected to go to college. I was going to go into the military after. That was the plan. Mm-hmm. So when that happened, while you're there, like, what are you thinking? Oh, it was terrifying being in college. I didn't understand anything. I didn't understand anyone. My work ethic was different. I didn't mean to be a jerk. Um, um, it's just... Uh, my my mentality was different from the students around me, and it was very apparent. Yeah. Why did you decide to shift from the military to go into college? Um, because my mentor told me to, and it was the best decision ever. Because I didn't know what I wanted to be. I just wanted stability. That was the only thing I knew. I couldn't see beyond like my circumstances or see into you know. And that's another thing. Starting right now does is that forward sight that having parents can give you. That's why you can't encapsulate or ever say what starting right now can do because how do you quantify foresight how do you quantify love you know you can't there's a lot of loose ends i feel like because like where's your mom do you mom's in new york do you talk to her do you have a relationship i'm trying to build that we're trying to build that there's a lot of stuff we're going through i'm okay now with making that connection with my mom um i don't know if she's okay with herself yet you know, she's evolving and, you know, work is happening with her and with her soul. And um, hopefully when better time permits, we'll have that conversation. But I know that on my side, I'm healed. So. Do you still talk to your siblings? <laughs> I try to. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, what about your younger ones that you were making that decision for? Uh, so my little sister's in college now, which is getting my baby sister's in college. Mm-hmm. My little brother, Joey, just uh <laughs> He just got into the Navy. Mm. These are happy tears. Um, And then my little sister's working her way through it. I love her so much, and I hope she finds a way. But she's in school. She wants to be a teacher. So they're kicking ass, you know? Mm -hmm. You should be so proud of yourself because you... I'm proud of them. Yeah. They had to go through it. You set the tone for them. Yeah, you made a very difficult Mm -hmm. and scary decision um, that started with standing up to your stepfather, but 
continued long after that. Mm-hmm. I would imagine it's very scary being alone. And yeah, that is. Yeah. It was not your responsibility to take care of them, but I, I think in doing that, you you did. Yeah. And God has a way. You just don't see it going forward. You only can see it going backwards. And so 11 years later, do you have insight onto the fact that the relationship is one that endures? Like, if I were in starting right now, what would I tell myself when I first started? I like that question. Excellent question. Um, people are capable of care beyond your belief, so you need to understand that. Okay, you need to be still and allow yourself to be still. And if you don't have the strength to find inner stillness, you need to go to those who have it. If you don't have vision, you need to go to those who have foresight. And when you don't have faith, sometimes you have to fall blindly. Yes. beautiful. Thank you for listening. This broadcast is brought to you by Humana Foundation, Hillsborough Education Foundation, and WEDU. If you are a homeless youth or know someone else who is a homeless youth, please notify your school social worker to contact starting right now. If you want to become a mentor or supporter, please log on to startingrightnow.org.